chapter 3 tonight uh, regarding the tongue. Uh, we've kind of caught up with the, with the young people. We've been going through the book of James. We were about uh, a couple chapters ahead, uh, but because of Sunday morning and Sunday night, and they only get it once a week, we're finally catching up. So they got the tongues one this morning, um, and so it's kind of a follow-up there. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things about this discourse from James is that he, he almost seems to speak of the tongue as though it's independent, that it's acting independently of the person. Well, I, I, I'm sure James don't, don't believe that, and I know we don't believe that. The tongue only does, uh, is only used in the way that we intend to use it. And we can certainly be careless, but James gives us great warning. <clears throat> in fact, in the context of the dispersion here and the environments they were in, um, they, had, they had great need to be mindful of their speech uh, because your, your speech could uh, bring about persecution or bring about difficulty in, in that society uh, unnecessarily. Uh, it's one thing to stand upon the truth and speak the truth to be persecuted, but it's another thing entirely uh, to, to be undisciplined in your speech and provoke an enemy uh, to take action against you. So, so they had need in their situation to be guarding the tongue. I was thinking as well that we, we set all sorts of guards uh, in our lives over our eyes, uh, our ears. Uh, we even discipline our members, our hands and our feet. Uh, we, we exercise all kinds of disciplines and guards against the members of our body. Uh, but it seems as though the tongue is the least guarded member of all. Uh, I was sharing with the kids this morning, how many of us, I know you could raise your hand, but how many of us has ever said anything and almost immediately regretted you ever said that? Uh, and it's almost, the tongue is just almost unrulable, untamable, as James says in this passage. So it's just kind of an exposition on, on the tongue or the speech uh, of these people as well. So let's begin in chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? I'll stop there. I think 13, chapter, verse 13 and beyond could be connected to that, but I want to stop there tonight. But let's pray over the word. Father, again, thank you for your word. 
Help us tonight as we think through these passages, these words, these texts. And Father, we just pray that you would bring the, bring the point of application home to us. Clearly, the overwhelming, the overarching point here is that the tongue is a dangerous thing. And, and Father, I pray that we leave here tonight more mindful of our speech. And so, Father, help us to be moved by the truth of these words that we might conform our lives to your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just thinking about uh, just the various dangers of the tongue that he mentions here. Like I said, he speaks of it almost as independent, like your tongue's something that's out of control. Um, well, your tongue is simply expressed. In fact, I had the kids this morning. I just, uh, it is really a remarkable organ. Um, I asked the kids, but you can try this too. We'll all look silly for a minute, but can you do this? Can you curl your tongue and stick it out? I asked the kids to do that, and they all tried to do that. And, and I said, do you, you think about how remarkable that is? Uh, what's required in muscle control to be able to relax the center muscles in your tongue and to curl the edges up? And that's quite amazing, quite an amazing organ. Not to mention uh, your entire, your body's health is dependent upon that tongue proper, properly functioning, your tasting. Uh, I went to school and shared this with them as well, but I went to school with a guy at Fruitland and his wife, just out of the blue, they think it was some neurological thing, but she actually lost all taste. I mean, she could put hot sauce in her mouth or a, or a cheesecake, and she said everything tasted like a paper bag. And because of her inability to taste, she began to, to desire less and less to eat. And it progressed and became such a, such a phobia for her that she couldn't taste that they actually ended up admitting her in the hospital and feeding her through tubes. Nothing, other, nothing wrong with her other than the fact that her tongue didn't, wasn't functioning properly. And just the mere dis inability to taste food almost cost her her life because she was literally starving to death because there was no desire for food because it, it, it had no taste. So the tongue as an organ is a remarkable thing. So I don't think James is talking about that organ in your mouth that can curl up and that can taste your food is in and of itself some evil thing. We know, and James knows, that the tongue is, is used to express, as it were, verbally what the heart, what, what's in the heart or what's in the mind. Uh, in fact, Jesus says the, the, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. So there's something underneath uh, the use of the tongue that is the more important issue that James, so, if, so I'm saying that to say, because kids especially, they say, well, the tongue, and they're all focused on the tongue and they don't realize that the tongue is acting in a way that we are, we are uh, initiating by our thinking or our heart as well. So James is talking about that underneath. But I just wanted to share with you some of the dangers that he delineates in this passage of scripture. In verse one, uh, one of the dangers here is just simply the multitude of them. He says, let not, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Uh, I've read some translations that say the word teachers there could also be translated masters. And there are some who believe uh, that he's not talking about teachers per se, but those in that context who would, would be quick to make judgments about other people. Uh, Calvin is one who takes that position uh, and others take a different position. Uh, it seems to me when I read this in the, in the English that he's speaking of teachers, those in that position where they would be a using a multitude of words. And basically there's, a, there's an inherent danger in that just simply by the multitude of the words. 
As I was sharing with the kids this morning, um, the, the judgment incurred here, I think we'll give account for every idle word spoken. We give account to God for that. But uh, I've read as well that some people believe that the, the stricter judgment here will come from those who hear us. So we, we speak a lot more words. And I'll use the same example I did with the kids. You're sitting here tonight and I'm using an abundance of words. And I'm, I'm in this context, I'm under a stricter judgment because you're evaluating my words. Are they true? Is that right? Is that true? Is, did you say that the right way? You're, you're sitting in judgment upon the words that I'm speaking. And I'm completely vulnerable because I'm going to say a bunch of words. <laughs> and so just by the sheer multitude of the words, James is saying, not, let not many of us become teachers because part of teaching is using words. And the more words you use, the more likely you can become careless with those words or the more likely you're, you are to say something in the wrong way or to say something that's contradictory to what you said earlier. And that's always, a, especially for a teacher or a preacher, that's what we're always thinking about. Is this contradictory to what I said at some other point? And so simply speaking here, now I don't think James is discouraging people from being teachers. The church needs good Bible teachers. So I don't think that's what he's saying here, but he's just saying by virtue of that, don't be quick to rush into that position where you get to carry the conversation or the dialogue yourself because you, in the multitude of words, you're, you become more likely just statistically to, to misuse your words or to speak wrongly in some way. So words, a tongue is dangerous when it's used a lot. I was asking the kids this morning and they were volunteer. Would you say you're pretty quiet or would you say you're the life of the party and talking? And it's funny to hear them all talk when some of them say, no, I, I very rarely say anything. And another one said, I talk all the time. <laughs> and I said, well, you're more vulnerable because you're saying a whole lot more words than this guy over here is. Now, he may be thinking some bad stuff and, and he's going to be accountable for that. But you're saying stuff and everybody's scrutinizing everything you're saying whenever you're doing that. I told a story, we have somebody, Hope will know who I'm talking about, but in our family, and one of them was prone to make these bold, factual statements. You know, some stuff is completely irrelevant, not that important, but they've stated as truth. Well, he happened to have a little nephew who, who was a curious little fellow, and everything he said, he would run home literally and get an encyclopedia and look it up. And he was wrong. He would bring the encyclopedia all the way to their house and say, you're wrong when you say that. It says right here. And he'd get so frustrated with that and get upset. Well, he was always using those words carelessly. And he had somebody scrutinizing him very intently and pointing out his error all the time. And so the tongue is a dangerous thing in that we use it so much, so, so often, and use so many words that we're vulnerable to that to sinning with our tongue. Therefore, we will receive a stricter judgment. Another one here is that the tongue is generally resistant to discipline. In verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, or you might say a, a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. It's interesting to me that he's acknowledging that as Christians, as, as brethren, we stumble in many ways. But he seems to be indicating, but if you can master the tongue, you can bring into control all the rest of the body. And that tells me that the tongue must be very, very difficult to master or to discipline because if I can get control of it, then I can take those principles and the body, bringing my eyes and my members and other things into line and discipline my body would be relatively easy in comparison to my tongue. And so one of the dangers of the tongue is that it is not very easily disciplined. 
Uh, it, is, it is unruly. He goes on to say later on that it's, nobody can even tame it. So the, if you can learn to master the tongue, if the man doesn't sin in what he says, he can bring those principles and apply them to all the rest of the body. And so it's, a, it's an unruly or a, 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 an instrument that is resistant to our di- disciplining it or controlling it or governing it. And we can all say amen to that. Uh, sometimes I have the best intentions, <clears throat> but in a moment of frustration, I say things. I gave the example last week of the guy that, the second or third guy that knocked on my door while I was tired to take a nap. Well, my tongue didn't give a one minute's thought before I used my tongue on him. And I regret having said that. I could have used that opportunity in a lot better way. So the tongue is a disciplined people. Now, I didn't ever went outside and attacked him. <laughs> I, I can discipline my members. I'm not going to go start throwing stuff at him. I can discipline my members, and I can, I can discipline a lot of things, but it seems like the tongue was just out of control in that moment. And so James says the tongue is dangerous, I think, in some ways because it is hard to discipline. It is not easily brought under control. So that ought to be a warning for us. It shouldn't be a discouragement. It doesn't mean we should give up trying. That's his old exhortation here is it ought not to be this way, brothers. So don't give up on working on governing or disciplining the tongue. Just understand that it is generally resistant to that. And it's resistant because it's attached to your spirit, which is not sanctified yet in many ways and not set apart unto God completely. So there's a sanctifying process involved there. So it's dangerous in that way. It's dangerous as well, verses 3 and 5, is that it is subject to being dismissed as insignificant. And I think that's his point in verses 3 through 5. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire bodies as well. He talks about ships as well. That was interesting to me as well. I was sharing with the kids this morning, I think the average weight of a horse is between 900 and 1,200 pounds. You can get up near 2,000 for Belgians and big draft horses like that. You think about this for a minute. An instrument no bigger than my finger, not much longer than my finger, in that horse's mouth, you, with that instrument in his mouth, you take control of, a, of a, an animal that weighs almost, almost, to, almost a ton, if it's the largest animal. So that's a relatively insignificant thing, but man, it has great effect, right? I mean, you try to push one of those horses around. You ever had a horse do that? You just try to push against him? You're not moving that horse. He's not going anywhere. He weighs 1,200 pounds to 2,000 pounds. And if you're a big man and you weigh 300 pounds, you're not pushing that horse anywhere. But you put that little piece of metal in his mouth and you put it on the end of a little old bitty thin rein, no bigger than my little finger, and all of a sudden that 2,000-pound animal is under your control. And I think his point there is that's a very insignificant little thing that you would look at hanging on a barn wall and you would say, what good is that thing? I mean, if you didn't know anything about horses and somebody says, take that and go over there in that barn and you know that big massive horse in there, go there, put that in his mouth and he'll follow you anywhere you want to go. And I'd tell them, you go do it. You do it and I'll come and follow you, but I'm not going in that stall with that massive animal and putting that little thing in his mouth and think that I'm going to control him by doing so. And that's the point he's making. He goes on to put ships here. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. From my own experience, I was sharing this, but uh, when I was in the service, I was on a ship that was just almost 600 feet long, about 35 feet wide, uh, and had about 450 to 500 crew members. 
And when that thing went in dry dock, that's a massive ship. And when that thing went in dry dock and they drained the water out, they had twin rudders, but the rudders on it were no taller than I was and about as wide as one of those tables we eat here. And they were side by side. And I remember thinking even then, you mean to tell me that little thing turns that big ship anywhere you want to go? Anywhere you want to go. And what's even more amazing is when I, on watch, I had the helm, which is just a little brass, brass wheel. And when the commanding officer would say 15 degrees left rudder, I'd spin that left rudder. The ship would go to turning. I'd anticipate it getting on course, spin it the other way, bring that great big ship right on course and not drift one way either way. And here I was at that time, I didn't weigh 150 pounds. So you got a 150 pound shrimp uh, on, the, on the side of a big brass wheel controlling a massive ship, 600 feet long, 35 feet wide with 500 men on board in the midst of 50-foot swells. And the only thing that's given control to that little guy with, behind that wheel is those two rudders. And you don't even see them. You don't even see them. In their context, this ship had sails, so the wind could push the sail. But do you know you can't steer very well with just sails? You have to have a rudder. In fact, you have to have a rudder to use the sails to tack against the wind in many cases. So what he's saying here is the thing that is small and insignificant and maybe even unnoticeable boasts great things. It controls great ships. It controls massive horses. It controls all sorts of things. It's the insignificant thing that's control, that is used to control or has such a great impact on a massive thing. And so he's showing there, I think, the danger of the tongue is that it is the same way because he says there in verse 5, so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. Now that's interesting to me because you would think the tongue is relatively insignificant. It's hid away most of the time in your mouth. It's practical in its use, but it's hard for us to believe that it can, it can, it can boast such great things as that. It may be insignificant, and it may even be dismissed as insignificant, which I think, by the way, is part of our problem as Christians. We get our theology right. We generally govern our behavior. We don't do outwardly sinful things, but we dismiss the tongue as though it's somehow insignificant. And what he's making the point here is, no, you're wrong, even though it's a small and rather insignificant in comparison to its uh, comparison to other parts of the body, even though it's small, it has great significance, and that's huge. And I've talked to people, and, and, and I've even seen people weep in regards to words that they remember that were spoken to them way back when they were kids. I was sharing with someone the other day. I'm I'm one among three, four siblings, four of us. And it's, it's striking to me that we were all raised in the same household. And if we sit down and talk to you today about our experience, you'd think we weren't even in the same house. Because things that they remember that my dad said to me, I remember them very positively. That was a great help. I've shared many times the little saying you had, once a job has begun, never leave it till it's done. Be it big or be it small, do it right or not at all. I mean, I heard that when I was nine years old, and it's as fresh in my mind today, and it had a positive impact. You know what my sisters say? That's negative. It made me feel it's fatalistic. It was deterministic. It, it had a negative effect on them. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure I can hold my dad responsible for all of that because some of it's in the interpretation of the child, but he was careless often with his tongue, and he would say things that maybe went over my head, didn't sink in, but they impacted my sister greatly. He said other things that my sisters didn't hear, but I heard, 
And they impacted me greatly. And you think about all the words that have come forth out of your mouth all of your days, even when you were lost and even as you became a Christian. And you ever wonder about what the impact of those will be and how they translate all into someone's life, how they even set the course of someone's life. It's a frightening thing to think about such a little instrument having that sort of impact. But that's the tongue in our bodies. That's the way it's placed in our bodies is that way. It's potentially, uh, it's, it's subject to being dismissed as insignificant, but it is anything but insignificant. The old saying, sticks and stones may hurt, break my bones, but names will have, never hurt me. Well, that's somebody who said that was probably somebody who never got called a lot of names because some people carry those names the rest of their days. And their whole lives are shaped by things they were called. I knew someone one time that um, said their dad called them when they were little stupid. Everything they did, stupid, stupid, stupid. And all the way into adulthood, everything they tried to do, they heard this echoing in their mind. You can't do that, stupid. You can't succeed at that, stupid. Well, there's a word carelessly spoken, rather insignificant in the moment, but it had a lifelong impact on that person. And it set them up for failure sometimes in a lot of ways because they, they were convinced that that word was almost like a prophecy over their lives. They were incapable of doing it. So don't tell me that words don't mean anything, that they're not hurtful. They can be. And the tongue is the organ that we use to shape those words and to communicate verbally. So... Though they may be dismissed as insignificant, they do have great boast. And that's what James is saying here in regards to the bits and the rudders. In verse 5 as well, is there is a potential destructive power in the tongue. Verse 5, he says, so also is the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. And then see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. I was reading somewhere about those fires in Canada and I think I was reading on the average every year in Canada about roughly 300,000 acres burns in forest fires, lightning strikes, accidents, campfires, different things. This fire has already burned 4 million acres. And I think I heard someone say that the main fire that started the ones was probably a campfire that got out of order and set all that ablaze. And he say, so is the tongue. It's like that. You ever use one of those little fire starters? Just, you know, you scrape them there and they throw sparks into the fire. Just think about that. One little spark can set that whole flame afire. Now, if you saw that as a kid and scraping that off, it's a cool little thing and nothing big is significant. But it's significant if one of those sparks gets out of that and sets the forest on fire. Uh, my son-in-law, Jason, was burning some brush in their, in their little fire pit. And they went to bed that night. And later that night, one of the kids looked out the window and the big oak tree down in the yard was on fire. And one little ember floated up into the air, settled down into the fork of that tree where there was a bunch of dead leaves gathered, and it set the inside of the tree on fire, and they had to call the fire department out to put the tree out. Uh, one, little, one little flame set, set a fire, that great thing, and it can set a whole forest afire. And so he's saying that's the comparison he's making is that's the way the tongue is. If you think about fire, it's very convenient. A little campfire on a cold night keeps us warm. Some people used to use fire always to cook their food. Fire has a purifying effect. Fire under control can weld. We can shape metal. We can build our cars. We can do all sorts of things with fire. Fire is our friend. Fire is productive in many ways. 
But out of control and unrestrained, fire is absolutely destructive. It can burn millions and millions of acres, put out toxic clouds and all those things. So, so, so is the tongue. So we're not suggesting, and I don't think James is suggesting, that we never use my tongue again. I take a vial of silence, and I will not sin with my tongue, and I'll just not use it at all. Well, then you're depriving the world of the good uses of the tongue. It is a small and insignificant member, but it can accomplish great things. But it can also set aflame the entire world. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives. You ever watch the the old clippings of Hitler uh, speaking and the passion with which he spoke and all those things? And I I was thinking to myself, it's just words. It's just words. And here's a man who's whose tongue is being shaped to form certain syllables and he's speaking and the, and the speaking is such that it sets on fire literally the course of the world. A world war with, with words, with words that were coming out of our mouth. True, they were reflecting ideologies and all those other things, but, but we, it was the shaping of the tongue to say words and to drive those words with great passion. And it literally set aflame the world in world war and how many millions died as a result of it. See how great a forest fire a single little flame can start? That's, that's the danger of the tongue. And this is what's sobering to me. That's what's in you and that's what's in me. And it's not an independent organ. It's attached to this heart who is being sanctified in Christ. And I can't say that my tongue operated independently out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if I hear my tongue using destructive words that are, that are potentially flammable and will set aflame the course of my life and of the world and defile my very own body, then my attention should go inwardly and ask myself, what's producing that? Because that same tongue can say good things. And so one of the dangers he gives about this tongue that we really, I think, need to take seriously is the dangerous or the destructive power of that tongue, whether it's in the way that we speak to our children, our spouses, our friends, our community, our culture, our nation, our world. That's a serious thing. Our words have an impact, and we should be mindful of that when we speak. He said earlier in this book, be slow to speak. Well, this is one of the reasons why. It's one of the reasons why, because there's so much potential damage in our speech. Here's just a practical thing for me, but I've learned this about myself. But it does not, it does, no, it does me no good and the person I disagree with no good if I speak when I'm angry. Uh, if I'm angry, it might even be righteous indignation. But I find that when I speak out of that motivation, that I speak in a very different way. But if I'll go home, search that out, pray, go to the scriptures, deliberate in regards to what would be right to say in this instant and then come back and talk to that person. I've never said anything in that moment that I regret saying, but everything I've ever said in anger, even if I was right, I have a regret of saying sometimes because uh, I know my own motivation. In other words, they may have been instructed by it, but I'm not acquitted by the fact that they were wrong and needed to be corrected because my motivation wasn't love and desire and care for their sanctification. It was more to defend my position. And that's the danger of the tongue. 
So it's potentially destructive power. He says in verses six through eight there, uh, speaks of the tongue as a fire. I just, in, in verse, seven, verse eight as well, but listen to what he says about the tongue. It is a world of, I'm just gonna rattle these off. It's a world of iniquity. It's set in such a way as to defile the whole body. It is set on fire the course of our lives. It is ignited or set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, if, if that's what this thing is, I'm gonna be really reluctant to be using that, right? If that's, the, if that's the potential of my tongue, then I need to be suspicious of using that tongue. I definitely don't want to be reactive and instinctive and be speaking just out of emotion at every moment because it can't be trusted. If that's what the tongue is, according to James, I'm not going to be relying very much on it. I want something, I want truth to rely upon. I want the spirit to rely upon. Then I want him to take control of my tongue and, let, and use it for good and for the glory of God. But if I'm just going to dismiss those things and just speak out of instinct, that's exactly what my tongue is. And it is not to be trusted. As I mentioned about Hitler there, that's, that's what you see displayed in the speech of Hitler and many others like him throughout history and even some in our day today. They say the most outrageous things that are, I believe in some ways, intended to cause uh, corruption or intended to cause dispute and division among the people to divide and conquer. Notice it is a world of iniquity, but it's set, this was interesting, but it is set in such a way as to defile the whole body. The tongue out of control has that effect. In other words, if, if you're not disciplining the tongue, then I think it transfers over into the rest of your life. And I think practice and disregard for the effects of using your tongue and using it wrongly has to do with your entire body sanctification. In fact, he attaches it here. It has a way it's said in such a way and has such an impact as to defile the entire body. You remember the discussion among Jesus and the Pharisees accused his disciples of eating food without washing their hands? And remember Jesus' response? I'm telling you, it's not what goes into the body that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the body. So what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what displays it really the defilement of the man. And so it's not disconnected from the rest of your body. If you, if you, disregard the tongue and you speak from instinct and away from the truth of God's word and apart from the spirit of God without love and all those things and you speak that way habitually has a way of defiling the entire body your whole life becomes defiled you not now you don't just have a out of control tongue now your whole life is out of control and unwilling to be submissive to the truth of God's word it just sets on fire the course of our lives. And boy, isn't that true? I mentioned Hitler again as an example, not only the course of our lives, but the course of the world. The tongue did all that, set all that on fire. And so that's the danger. Notice as well as it says that tongue, that sort of tongue is set on fire by hell itself. That's a hell born tongue. It speaks hell. It speaks wickedness and it speaks evil. He goes further to say it's full of deadly poison. You remind me of Paul's uh, in Romans chapter 3 when he's speaking of the depravity of the human, the human spirit of the human nature. Their mouth is full of evil and restless evil, he says there, and full of this deadly poison. We hear a lot in our day about toxic this and toxic that. Well, speech can be toxic. In fact, he says here it's full of deadly poison. So you think about our speech and how we communicate. What are we, what are we putting out into the world? Is it deadly toxins meant only to destroy and to burn and to consume? Or are they words to build up and to edify? 
Jesus says, let no, um, the scripture says, let no speech come out of your mouth that is not edifying. I've thought about that often. That's a good, absolutely foolproof way of governing our speech. But boy, isn't that difficult? Before everything you say, ask yourself, is this to the building up of that person? And some, here's, here's, here's how we are, though. Our nature will say, well, they definitely need that. <laughs> they definitely need that. My motivation is not that you're built up and drawn closer to Christ, but the fact that you need that correction gives me license to act out of pride and self-justification and vindication and all those things to confront you with that thing. And then we pat ourselves on the back and say, what a wonderful tool in the hands of God I've been. And that's not necessarily true. It's full of deadly poison, and so we ought to be mindful of using it. In verses 7 and 8, Another thing that we need to be warned about is that James says, kind of going back to the disciplining part, but it's untamable. Notice he says, for every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Obviously, he's speaking in broad categories there. Uh, there are things that we haven't tamed. I don't know if anybody's tamed a great white. <laughs> uh, now, we have tamed orcas. The killer whales, you go to SeaWorld and you watch that massive creature jump up on the platform and eat fish from a human being's hands who, who could probably swallow if he wanted to. And you think about all the effort engaged to train animals, massive animals, elephants. I, I'm always amazed. You ever see these Indian elephants where they use them to work? And a guy with a little bitty cane that probably don't weigh 120 pounds is, is just hollering stuff and tapping this elephant with a little piece of bamboo and this elephant's picking up cars. I mean, logs and stuff. And I'm always amazed at the efforts that we will go to train a beast to perform in the way that we want them to. But then this little thing in here, we don't exercise any effort to train it at all. In fact, it's untrainable. That tells me that my tongue is far more difficult to manage than an elephant, than a killer whale, than a lion, than a tiger. <laughs> All the dangerous animals that we would be so frightened of if we were on safari in Africa somewhere, all of those are not near as dangerous as that thing in my mouth, that tongue. That's the implication here. We've tamed all sorts of beasts. In fact, verse 80 says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Well, he's... That would be contradictory if, he, if his exhortation here is to discipline our speech. That would be contradictory. Well, why do it? It's untamable. So I, I think what he's getting at is it's so resistant. No man has been able to master it. Even the one who masters it most is subject always to foul up with his speech, to, to, to sin with his tongue. So the idea here, I think, is to be ever mindful of the potential of your tongue to do harm. Don't ever consider it to have been completely mastered. Work on it. Don't give up on it. You say, well, I'm farther than other people. Congratulations. But you've not arrived yet. Keep working on it all the days of your life. I hope that when I'm 80, if the Lord leaves me here that long, that I have more mastered my speech than, than when I was this age or even younger. I love to be around old senior saints who have learned patience through the years and they've learned what to confront and what, what not to confront. Uh, one of the things uh, I remember is interesting about being a grandparent is you watch your children parent their children and you're tempted all the time to say, you probably need to let that one slide. Because when I was a parent raising my children, I was on top of everything. Nope, no error here. <laughs> She's going to be on the straight and narrow. 
But as a grandparent, I understand that sometimes by being so hard on the error here, I was pushing them farther away from where I wanted them to go ultimately. And sometimes the, 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 the wisdom of time and experience and age and seeing a truth applied in lives, sometimes I love it that senior saints are kind of quiet about things. They don't speak about a lot of things. And contrary, uh, as a result of that, when they do speak, I pay a lot of attention. Because they've, they've obviously decided that now is an important time for me to speak. And since they've decided that, it's worth listening to. And so is the tongue. It's untamable, but we ought to always and ever be trying to bring it under control. By the way, I would say the best way to do that is to be sanctified in our own hearts. Set aside Christ in, as Lord in our hearts. Stay in his word. Let the word be transforming us by the renewing of our mind. Be saturated with the truth of Christ and the spirit of Christ. And it'll have a, have a way of managing what comes out of the mouth. That's the best way. Other than to have those thoughts and just discipline yourself to say, I'm not going to say that. Because the thought is still there. So it's dangerous because it is untamable. It's dangerous as well because it's so prone to being hypocritical and contradictory. Notice he says there, and this was what really touched me this morning. With it, with this tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the very likeness of God. I was sharing with the kids this morning, when you say, when you say grace at your meal, you ask God's blessing upon your meal, and as soon as you say amen, your sibling says a smart comment at the table, and you fire back. You've essentially contradicted it. In other words, I'm, I'm using this same tongue to offer up praises to God, which is a glorious thing for me to do. And as soon as I say amen, I use that very same tongue, same heart, same mind to trash my little brother or my little sister for giving me a, a bad comment or some smart comment. The same is true. And, and to me, that's the danger of it, is it can be so inconsistent. It is, he goes on later to say, brother, these things ought not to be. This tongue should not be offering praises to God and cursing men who are made in the likeness of God. It's, it's inconsistent. Either let it curse men always and curse everybody or let it praise God always. But it ought not to be doing two things. And because it is prone to be contradictory and hypocritical, you need to be guarding it all the time. Be mindful of what it's saying. It is a shame if you think about it that we offer up praises to God and almost in the same breath would curse a neighbor or curse a brother or curse anyone. He gives us several examples here. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. Brethren, verse 10, brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And he gives some examples here. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Uh, if you went to the water fountain there this, after, this evening, got a drink of water, and it's nice and cool and fresh, and you come back next Sunday and go to the same fountain, and it's warm and it's bitter and it's definitely not fresh, you would immediately know something's wrong with the fountain, right? That's the imagery he gives here. If you're speaking blessings with this tongue and at the same time cursing with the same time, at the same time there's something wrong with the fountain because you're giving sweet water and bitter water out of the same fountain. There's a problem with the fountain and I think that gets to the heart of what's wrong with the tongue. There's a, there's a problem with the heart that is, that is using the tongue. And if, it, and if you find that it's contradictory, if it's blessing God and cursing men, it's giving forth sweet and bitter water at the same time, you need to look and see what's going on with the fountain. Because there's a problem there. Does the fountain, verse 11, send out the same 
out of the same opening, both fresh and bitter water. He even uses the trees here. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. It is completely inconsistent. And one of the things we need to be guarded about the tongue is that it is prone to that sort of inconsistency. But when we, when we recognize it in ourselves, we ought to call ourselves to the mat, as it were, and say, well, listen, that ought not to be, brethren. If I find that I'm bitter and harsh towards men who made in the likeness of God and at the same time come to worship and lift my hands and let these words sing praises to that God, that's the same tongue that you were cursing your neighbor with last week. And it's the same tongue that you'll curse him with Monday or Tuesday if you're not careful. It is completely inconsistent for me to, to use my tongue in those ways. And to me, it draws the attention to what is the fountain of that. My suspicion it is that it is the fleshly man who is cursing my brother, the man who would like his life to be lined up according to his own comforts and his own preferences in life, and the world won't fall into line to my agenda. That's the fleshly man cursing that man. And then I've separated it out, and then the, the spiritual man blesses God. Brethren, these things ought not to be. I ought, to be see, I ought to be speaking to my brethren from the same fountain as I speak to my Father in heaven. It ought to be the same transformed heart and soul and mind. I ought to be thinking of my brethren, even if he sins against me. I ought to be thinking of him with the thoughts of God, with the thoughts of truth, and let my speech be guided by those things, not separated from that. I was talking to someone this morning, and, and more and more uh, I'm seeing this very clearly, that we, we are dualistic in a lot of ways. We've separated the sacred and the, and, the, and the secular, and we operate in either of those realms with great comfort, thinking that neither one has to do with the others. Brethren, these things ought not to be. We don't live in that kind of dualistic, uh, dualistic reality. All of life for the Christian is sacred, whether it's a conversation with an enemy or a brother or a brother or someone on the street or whether it's prayer to God. It's to be coming from a, a sanctified, consecrated heart and soul to Christ. And that's where I think our tongue gets out of control. And that's why it is seemingly untamable. But if it was, if it was impossible to do anything with it, James wouldn't be exhorting them to do this. He's warning them, this is a member of your body that's going to cause you great trouble. And particularly so if you're in an environment where there may be trials involved because you're going to be more prone to rely on instinct and speak out of your own pain and your own suffering and your own hurting. And you're not going to be guiding and thinking about what it is that you're saying. So guard against that tongue. I think I could, I could close tonight, but I, I was thinking about this as I was looking through this passage again and talking to the kids this morning. I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't bring to my mind every idle word I've spoken, even just in my Christian life, that had harmful effects on people. He's brought some to mind, and where he has, I've tried to be honest with folks and go back and tell them, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I spoke without thinking and I spoke wrongfully out of a fleshly heart and would you forgive me? But if he, if he unloaded all of those on me, I'm afraid I would be overwhelmed because I think sometimes in the moment we speak things in the moment and we disregard those. And I think a lot of that's rooted in the idea that we, the tongue is a very little thing and it's insignificant in our minds. I just don't do sins with my members. I don't go do bad things and I don't do things that are openly sinful and and, I've, and I just don't even worry about what I say. Don't even worry about what I say. 
and into not worrying about it and not thinking about it, we say all sorts of damaging and destructive things in our lives. So James' exhortation to us tonight is to beware the tongue. Uh, it can set aflame your own life and the life of those around you and the world. Amen. And stand with me and we'll be dismissed tonight. So. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, very practical instruction from James and very sobering as well. Lord, as I was working through this passage and thinking and praying through it, I was just reminded of all the idle and careless words that we speak in passing. And sometimes it's a reciprocal thing. We're engaged in a conversation with someone who's doing the same thing to us and we act as though those words just float out into the wind and they have no significance at all. Lord, I'm reminded by this passage and, and much more of your word that those words do have an effect. They have, they have consequences. They hurt and they wound and they scar in many ways. And I wonder sometimes if we're not living in, an, in the very environment we've created by such careless words. And so, Father, we just ask your forgiveness where we've spoken out of turn where we've spoken from fleshly hearts and fleshly desires and been mindless of our own sanctification, our own union with Christ. And I pray that we be encouraged, Lord, to, to walk fully in our relationship with Christ, to, to walk by faith and not by sight, to not be guided by our tongue, our members, or, or our minds, or anything else by the flesh and by carnal lust but to be guided by your truth and your spirit at all times, whether we're speaking to a, an enemy one who would consider themselves our enemy or whether we're speaking to a, a spouse or a child or a loved one or a brother or sister in Christ. Help us to speak from a conformed and transformed heart that's yielded to you. Bless those who've come tonight, Father. Guide us as we go through this week, Lord. Bring to mind the truth of your word, whether it's in a sermon they've heard here or something somewhere else, something they've read. Lord, would you bring the truth of your word <coughs> to bear in every circumstance that we encounter this week. And may you grant faith and conviction that we would yield to your truth in those moments. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.